Mini episode 1188 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello and welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1188. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here with my good friends, fellow original FDH Lounge dignitary Chris Galloway and other FDH Lounge dignitaries Ron Glasnap and Johnny Adams going through celebrating the 13th anniversary of the program, going through our survey in six parts. We are on our fifth part now. World news in the 2010s and 2020s going through with our survey from the FDH Lounge Academy of Arts and Sciences going through, sifting through the answers and breaking down what we got back here from everybody for the 2010s and 2020s. Go back to 1184, go back to part one if you want to catch where we kind of set more of this up and go through and really kind of introduce this. But it's just basically our way of going through on six different categories. We've already covered sports, uh, pop culture and entertainment, technology, American news. we got world news here. Finishing with the good old uh, pro graps here in the last one. Subsequently, just because it is tradition on the program. So going through the submissions that we have here for world news in the 2020s from our different uh, submissions here from the Academy members. Uh, from new member of the Academy, Tim Trammell, uh, world news in the 2010s, too much hate. World news in the 2020s, uh, need more compassion. So I think a lot of people would probably agree with that. Uh, Karen Cahill, in 2010s, climate change due to the sheer numbers impacted throughout the world. 2020s, climate change ditto. Mike Morris answers Brexit, a country leaving the EU. That's huge. Good thing they kept the pound sterling. 2020s for Mike Morris. A regional war not dominated or puppeteered by world superpowers. Think Turkey versus Syria with Lebanon and Jordan jumping in, or Nigeria versus Ghana with neighbors stacking up, or Vietnam versus every neighbor. Maybe Colombia versus Venezuela plus neighbors. Okay, the U.S. will get involved somehow, but won't start it. Anthony Patrone. The defeat of many major terror leaders grew more terror leaders in the 2010s, 2020s. I think we'll suddenly see countries take sides. We'll see groups of countries that hate uh, uh, other groups, and it will be everyone out to spite the others. Tom Denk, uh, in the 2010s, lack of concern to climate change in the U.S., 2020s, he sees the story as being climate change. Matt Patrone, 2010s, all the mass shootings and other harmful attacks, not military-related, schools, churches, etc. Johnny, we talked about that in a previous segment with American News. The 2020s, uh, we figure out how to control it, not saying take all guns away, just control it better. Nate Noy, 2010s, U.S. assault on terror and death of bin Laden and ISIS. 2020s, world assault on Israel, end of time stuff, scary, not joking. So, Nate going about as apocalyptic on his answers as I... I'm going. Uh, Tim Faust, 2020s. I'm pleasantly surprised that no major terror attack took place during the decade. I would have bet that terrorism would have run rampant in the days following 9-11, and certainly with the rise of ISIS during the most recent decade. I don't necessarily see us getting any better about systems in place to prevent them. 
and there's definitely a reason for freedom and democracy hating bad guys to plan them. That's what makes it even more baffling. I pray for our safety going forward. Tim Faust says for the 2020s, the geopolitical game changes when crazy states possess nuclear weapons and the means to deliver them, and I can't believe we'll exit the 2020s without Iran, North Korea, and others being locked and loaded. Scares the heck out of me. Steve Cervillo, 2010s, death of Osama bin Laden, 2020s, deaths and drama with the royal family in Great Britain. So for, for those of us here at the table, on our answers, I'll give you mine first here. 2010s, huge turmoil from previously unforeseeable events like the Arab Spring and fallout like the Syrian Civil War. Brexit, the Ukraine invasion, large-scale Hong Kong protests, and all the crazy orange guy annex. Fortunately, somehow markets have priced in this incredible instability, but that can't hold if it keeps increasing exponentially. 2020s, global instability will gravely worsen with more severe wars and economic downturns. There's a minimum 50% chance of war involving nuclear weapons, and then it may happen again in another war once the eight-decade seal is broken. So I did warn you guys I was going dark and apocalyptic on some of these uh, predictions here. And so, too, that has been the case. So in, in looking for a good segue, uh, Johnny, your, your, your thing here for the 2010s, uh, natural disasters and government corruption, uh, was the story. Uh, 2020s, but again, a little bit more forward-looking on your part, CBD, THC, mind-altering drugs, climate change. So clearly you see this going any number of ways uh, in the next decade as far as some of the big stories. But it uh, seems to be uh, all coming back to technology and change which has kind of been the theme of the day. Yeah, um, I noticed climate change came up a few times from some others also. Not, not to overlook the uh, uh, possibilities of the global instability uh, economically and otherwise, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how the world reacts, including the United States, in terms of the climate change. So uh, hopefully, you know, always an optimist. Hopefully things will go uh, well going forward. Um, you know, in previous comments by Chris, it does give me uh, hope that uh, uh, he sees things going forward and, you know, uh, statistically things are better than they ever have been for the human condition. So, we'll see. Well, uh, you know, I, I know for, from that there, and again, yours, yours have been, uh, I think, you know, optimistic uh, for, for the future here, balancing me out kind of somewhat today. Uh, in terms of Ron's ones here, Ron, I know that, uh, again, you, you had kind of a grim thing here for the 2010s. The more it changes, the more it stays the same. The Middle East is still a hot zone that can be set off by any little spark. North Korea is still run by a loon, but Russia may or may not be messing with our lives. No one's completely sure. Feels like the 80s. But so, that, sounds like my civics class in high school in 1986. Yeah. I mean, almost exactly the same thing. It's a lot of the same stuff, but on the 2020s, though, again, forward-looking on your part, uh, with all the issues to fix, like climate change, diseases, and poverty, the group that finds a way to fix or cure them will become a large influence in the world and all of its branches. Can a group outside the standards, U.S., Europe, China, Japan, become one of those influencers? So is this something that you see coming into play? Do you see somebody stepping up to, to, to develop these things? You'd love to see it. I, I, hope, I, I hope it's right, but I doubt it. Mm -hmm. um, I just kind of, I really noticed that the influence of the world are all in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. You know, there's a billion people in India. There's however many millions in South America and Africa and whatever else. And barely you hear a blip from them here. Yeah. I'm sure maybe in the more of the world or people who read more about this and know more about this than I do uh, might sit there and say, well, no, that's not the case. But, you know, the, I don't see if somebody, if a company in India 
comes up with the the cancer cure. Mm-hmm. I got to believe they're much more a power play and an influencer than the standard people that we have now of Japan, North America, and Europe and well, Russia. The the very bitter, cynical person in me is going to say that the, the the death squads from the U.S. pharmaceuticals will be making their way down to India to snuff That's out That's a whole other topic we could. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like big farmers ever going to let that happen? Have a cure for cancer? But. Uh, uh, yeah, again, and uh, before you say it, yes, Chris, uh, yes, I do have my figurative tinfoil hat on anyways now, but you've come to expect that from me. <laughs> he did shut his phone off so he can't listen in. So. That's right. In terms of Australia, that's about, in terms of big government, that's about as big as it gets, if I'm mm-hmm. correct, right? Well, you would think so. I mean, well, they in just, terms of overmanaging uh, uh, the population. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, they, they just, I mean, that's, it, 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 as far as any of my weird kind of far-flung hobbies and interests and stuff. Uh, Australian government is actually one of those. And they did elect a fairly laissez-faire government this past year, uh, particularly, again, pushing back on, and that's the irony now, they're dealing with the fires and whatnot, yeah. but uh, a government that was pushing back on controls on the mines and things like that. So it was it was a real pushback at the greenies there. So, Well, but, you they, know, I, I believe they, like, for instance, Back to education for me. I have a friend who's living in Melbourne now and teaching. And, you know, in my business, I'm in a teacher's union, so there's some safeguards. You still have due process, but, mm-hmm. you know, you could be, you know, you could lose your job, obviously. But in Australia, uh, every you, you can't get more than a one-year contract. And at the end of that one-year contract, you uh, they're required to interview at least three people for your job. Mm-hmm. So there's no, it's all performance-based. Wow. There's no... There's no guarantee of anything going forward. Yeah, job security-wise, that is it's interesting. That is a pretty stringent control to work under, uh, no question about it. But uh, so those are the answers that we have down on uh, on paper from everybody. Uh, Chris, I know you have a few more in your head as well here on well, things of the 2020s. We've touched on some of them a little bit. Well, when I look back at the uh, the last decade, um, I'm always just reminded of the old. Uh, the human model, um, you know, it's one step back, but two steps forward, and you know, and, and <clears throat> vice versa. Um, the hu- we talk about the human condition; it, it's never, it's not a straight line. You know, there are there are peaks and valleys as it moves upward. Um, so that's why I'm an optimist. But it is important to remember that the Dark Ages followed the Renaissance. Yeah, um, and yet we're still here today. So had you been living in the middle of the Dark Ages, you would have never been able to expect the human condition to have reached this point. But yet here we are. Um, so I recognize, I'm, I'm not Rick, but I do recognize <laughs> that there are times when we are going to take steps back. Yeah. And I see some of those um, in the next decade. Um, I, a couple of years ago, and I had made the prediction on Twitter that... Um, and then I made a prediction about Putin saying that he would use a nuclear weapon by 2023. Um, I don't know if it'll be Putin. I don't know that I would say that specific. But I do believe at least one will be used in this upcoming decade somewhere in the world in some conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean it's World War Three and, you know, global nuclear war? No. But does that mean that Pakistan and India don't both lob one at each other? Or the, Ru- one or, the, they do. or the Russians use one, a tactical one in the field in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I do believe in the next decade it's going to happen. Um, but does that mean the overall trajectory of humanity is 
you know, retarded in some way, uh, maybe temporarily. Maybe it also becomes the catalyst for us realizing it's a species that, man, we got to get rid of these things, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you don't know where, where one, you know, the effect that comes out of one particular cause. So um, I, that is a prediction for the upcoming decade for me. Okay. Um, I think long term, when we talk about technology and humans um, uh, fractionalizing, whether it's entertainment and, you know, our politics and, you know, we're all sort of moving into these silos... I do wonder if long term we are moving away from the big corporate model and back to the small business model. And what I mean by that is, are we possibly moving back towards like city states um, region in this country? You know, uh, the potential breakup of this country in regard to, you know, California out on its own and the Midwest forming its own thing and New England being its own thing. Does technology allow for that? Do we do we reach a point where, um, you know, safeguards are in place um, in terms of conflict that we all start to? And it doesn't mean that we're all, you know, in, you know, we're not fighting a war with Indiana or something like that. I'm not suggesting, but I mean, we we sort of start to break apart. And globally, you start to see as people start to pour more and more percentage of people into urban centers, you know. Um, Cities and these little small regions around cities uh, that that have certain you know growth technologies economies they start to become the centers versus a nation state. Um, we may be looking at something like that in the decades ahead and towards the end of the century um, versus just the idea the nation state may be an antiquated condition. The human condition historically evolutionarily. People can only have empathy for about 200 people. Right. We, we've grown up as a species that we I can basically identify with our tribe. Mm -hmm. and, and at some point, as we continue to silo with technology leading that way, and there is that bit of that isolation, do we sort of go that way in, in a geopolitical sense as well? Um, it'll be fascinating to watch. I do wonder if that is a thing... Um, that will eventually be an eventuality. In the meantime, in the forthcoming decade, you know, obviously we need to continue to watch the rise of China. Um, they are, you know, a, a huge segment of the world population. Um, they have the second largest economy. They still have a long way to go to catch the U.S. in terms of the economy. All this, you know, doom and gloom about, you know, um, it would it's going to take them about 30 years, frankly, to, to catch us. Um, all that being said, um, what happens to this relationship between the U.S. and China in the next decade is going to play a huge factor in the global um, geopolitical landscape. Speaking of population, just one last thing to leave you with because I'm reading a fascinating book on it right now. When we talk about climate change and other ailments, mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the world population, the, the U.N. has always predicted the world population will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. And that we have to develop technologies and you know feeding systems in order to be able to manage it. There's a new school of thought coming out of uh, these people that study these things that, 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 that says that that whole working model is all wrong. And that, in fact, the, the global population is going to peak mid-century at around 9.5 billion people. And then over the next half a century 
is going to shrink back down to about where it is now to about seven and a half billion people. Mm -hmm. And the reason for this is is that it, um, as people get educated, as women get educated, um, as they earn money, as people have risen out of poverty, you have less and less kids. None of this is deniable. We see it in our population charts. You can study it now where certain countries are shrinking, like Japan. Mm -hmm. They can't replace their existing population. Right. Um, and, and, and Russia's shrinking by 600,000 people a year. Um, you know, so it's, it's, not just, it's not just, you know, you have these big growth countries like China and India, but as they get more educated and they get wealthier, they're on the curve, on the chart, they're starting to cut back on children. So the theory on this is we're going we're gonna to peak, and then the, the population by the end of the century would be back to about where it is now. Um, with the eventual, the, the, the problem being, the problem being that population decline is like a runaway train. Once it gets started, you, you can't reverse it. Um, the belief system is now that actually we will eventually end up, over the next 200 years following, so by 2300, we may be back down to 3, three billion. Okay. Um, the population of the globe is going to continue to shrink. And in fact, we're not going to overpopulate. We're going to peak and then start heading back down. Because as technology advances and wealth and prosperity and health care, um, you're not going to have the children replace you. And so therefore, eventually, and the book I'm reading is called Empty Planet. Mm -hmm. And it basically talks about how we're, you know, within our, our couple generations removed, um, you know, it's going to be a very different life. Now, those things are going to impact things like climate change. Less people, mm, mm -hmm, less, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, less use of energy. Exactly. All yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. All of it. And actually, yeah. it'll become, it's a fascinating read because the, the, it breaks down the economics and everything where, you know, you now suddenly don't have people doing things. I mean, there's, you know, less people, less, you know. It's going to be the robots, though. Yeah, so. well, I mean, there's some of that argument. That could accelerate it. But, um, it's a fascinating read, and I think it's you know I think it ties into things like climate change, where we need to recognize that yes, humankind is doing serious damage um, to the health of the global uh, climate. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I I could sit in my fellow you know Republicans or conservatives, I could have this argument with me. Oh, it's not true. Well, I mean, it is true. Anybody that deals with the land sees it. I in my case, you know, I make maple syrup. Right, I see it in what I do. Okay, farmers see it. Anyone who deals with the land um, has a real keen understanding of weather and follows these things knows that the global climate and these things are changing rapidly, far faster than they ever have in the human history—not human history, recent human history, planet history. Planet. Okay. They're, 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 and the reason for, it in large part, is is very simple. Um, you know, it's, we've, 50% of, of the carbon monoxide and greenhouse gases, which you would include methane in that, um, which is the, actually the most damaging one, not carbon monoxide, um, have been released into the atmosphere. Of, if you take the entire amount that have been released in the entire human history, so going back a few hundred thousand years, 50% of it has been since 1990. Wow. Okay. Wow. We we've we've just stuffed the earth with with all this. The oceans can't absorb carbon and 
dioxide anymore. They've absorbed a lot of it. The oceans are becoming acidic. Um, I do believe that there's going to be a big global focus in the next 20 to 30 years on extreme measures to try to reverse some of these things. And I think it'll become more and more apparent as we have some real catastrophes occur that people realize, oh, shoot, we've done some things. Now, is, we can sit and all play the, the blame game, right, you know? Mm -hmm. But the reality is is that third world countries are trying to industrialize and get the quality of the standard of living that we've enjoyed that right. by going through that same process. So at the same time, you have Brazil burning down the, the rainforest, and you have Indonesia burning down their, their rainforest for, for wood. Um, you know, you have uh, the reforestation of Europe and New England. I mean, there was a time when New England was, every damn tree was cut down. Mm -hmm. You know, you go back 150 years, look at the early photos of places like New Hampshire and Vermont, where you now see nothing but trees and mountains and woods and forests. Those didn't exist. About the mountains. There were there. none. They they cut everything down for sheep and cows. You can mm -hmm. look at some of these places and who wants a tree to be found, mm -hmm. right? But then now New Hampshire is now the most forested state in the country uh, on a per capita per mile basis. So these things can be reversed, and I think that's the thing that the Greta Thornburgs and others don't recognize mm -hmm. is that throughout global history, you know, five billion years or whatever it is. Species come, species go, things change, things die, some species make it, some don't. Humans aren't going to, global climate change isn't going to make us go extinct. A lot of species might, um, but we will survive and adapt and find our way through it. it. I'm not saying it won't be without pain, but the idea that like somehow, you know, the, the AOC and these others like, the world will end in 10 years if we don't do something, then that's all nonsense. The world isn't going to end. Um, but it's going to rapidly change. And I think that at some point we're going to have to recognize that it it has and that we're going to have to do something about it. Well, and here's the thing, though. It, because everything is, and it's something I have long said on this show, everything has become so red team, blue team as far as arguments. And I'm not the only one to make this point, obviously. But that's where when you're getting pushback from, if you want to call it folks who walk on our side of the street, it's because of that. It's because... If you subscribe to the, the 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 knowledge that there is something going on here, then it becomes oh well. The only thing that's been presented is to do X, Y, and Z about it, and they're not in favor of well, that. Well, and you're right, and that's the problem with this argument right now because the people that push the climate change solutions, yeah, it's all wrapped. I mean, literally, it's most of it's wrapped up in socialism. Yeah, you know, they don't. It's and I don't obviously don't support any of that stuff. I mean, yeah. and this sort of extreme governmental control of your lives is the only yeah. answer to how we're going to fix the global climate. Um, you know, that's that's the part that needs to correctly be rejected. Um, and I think to your point, Rick, that's where the breakdown is on the red team versus blue team. Sure, is that you know is that for for red team members the only when it's discussed. It's only then discussed in the context of, well, you're a bad human, right. and government's the solution, right. and if you just listen to us, we're going to tax you and take these things away, we're going to do all this, uh, and you know, we're going to fix it. You know, and that's what, of course, their reaction to that is, you know, right. piss off, right? right? Yeah, but, you know, be. unfortunately, that those two things are interwoven, and, and so now we can't get to the reality of, well, what is really going on in the global uh, global climate? 
and and let's 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 get to that point before we get into well how are we fixing it. Well, you link to a very excellent. This is a good place to bring it full circle. I think very good article on Facebook a couple months ago. Uh, where, where a guy was talking about that and about all of the challenges involved in actually proactively doing something about it and what some of the pathways might be as opposed to some of the crap that's being circulated right now. So basically pointing out that it's going to take new ways of thinking and innovation and things like that as opposed to the gaga that we're hearing today about what should be done about it. Well, that's exactly right because, you know, socialism and those types of leftist um, policies, you know, the Soviet Union or China... Um, I don't know. I don't think their pollution records are all that great. No. Um, so I, that was a great article because it, it talked about, and I think this is where it ties back into our entire conversation today, mm -hmm. which is technology. Right. The thing that's led us to this point and the thing that's going to lead us out of this point is human innovation and technology. We're going to find ways to curb it, whether it's through new, new nuclear technologies for energy um, adapting solar technologies like say like the Tesla roof on homes mm -hmm. um, doing these types of things you know and the other thing and I've said this for I mean God since we were in college Rick and the first time people ever started talking about climate change and, and remember then it was the ozone yep. and everything yeah and the thing I said back then and I continue to say is you want to fix this plant trees right <laughs> you know yeah and honestly that is a huge component of huge this huge component and we it's a, it's a yeah. Replant, you know, the sections of the, of the that's right of the rainforests in both Southeast Asia and 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 South America, um, planting trees everywhere you can get them. Um, that is a huge component because not only have we increased hugely the amount of things that we're putting in the air, we've also eliminated so much of the things that suck it up. Right. Um, so it's it is all fixable and reversible. It's going to take a huge humankind effort to to get to that point um and i think this next decade is going to be the starting point now it's going to be painful as we go through the debates mm -hmm. everything is going to become red team blue team yep you know china versus america versus india versus russia versus and we're all going to sit and argue about all of this stuff in the context of of politics um but the one thing i do know is that humankind has always been very good about eventually just moving beyond that and coming up with technological solutions to fixing these types of things. Well, exactly. And you know, I think when, when you're talking about that and, you know, stakeholders all are working together on stuff, I mean, uh, you, you wouldn't necessarily think of somebody that could be as combative as me as a kumbaya kind of person, but you look at the spectrum of friends that I have, uh, the FDH Lounge uh, is a good uh, uh, representation of some of the folks in here. It runs all the way from uh, folks like FDH Lounge, Dignitary, uh, Russ Cohen, proprietor, proprietor of Sportsology, the great site, who, uh, Russ is, is so uh, uh, set in his ways, one might say, on some of this stuff. He doesn't want to hear, he gets outraged that the statement, or the, the phrase, clean coal, because to him there is no clean coal, versus good friend of ours uh, from, from back in the day, Scott Pullins, uh, who is very pro-mines, because that's where his family came from, and, and he sticks up for that way of life and whatever. So. The ability to have people who look at these things differently uh, is, is going to be basically what drives things here in the 2020s world and nationally, I think, as far as stopping talking past people. And uh, hopefully that is what segments like this uh, do as well here, give you something to think about as well going through the 2010s and the 2020s 
on World News. Another excellent segment, fellas. Thank you. We have uh, the, the wonderful world of pro graps coming up in the next segment here to bring this thing full circle. But for right now, we are wrapping up our talk on World News in the 2010s and 2020s.